Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and welcome to episode 843 with Dr. Hayden Finch. Hayden brought so much fantastic insight to help you overcome procrastination. I got a lot out of the conversation. I think you will too. So you'll learn one, why time management won't solve procrastination and what will. Two, the easier way to do what you don't want to do. And three, a powerful question to help motivate you into action. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, please visit us over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP843. Now, here's a little bit about Hayden. Dr. Hayden Finch is a licensed clinical psychologist, behavior change expert, and dessert enthusiast. She's the founder of the Finch Center for High-Functioning Anxiety, an online therapy clinic that helps anxious and overwhelmed high achievers learn actionable, research-proven skills to turn self-doubt into self-confidence. She is a go-getter with a passion for empowering others to find meaning in a busy life. Big thanks to Hayden for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Dr. Hayden Finch. Hayden, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm so thrilled to be chatting with you. You've got the coolest name for your organization, the Finch Center for High-Functioning Anxiety. Doesn't that sound official? It really does. And (laughs) I think we have a lot of high-functioning anxiety in the listenership, myself included. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I mean, that's, that's how I like got in this space was like, that's me, right? Like I'm pretty high functioning and have a lot of anxiety and noticed that my clients were being attracted to me because they're pretty similar to me and in terms of being pretty high achieving people, doctors and attorneys and scientists, and also having anxiety and trying to work all that out. Oh yeah. That's, that's powerful. It's important. And, and kudos on zeroing in on your message and your uniqueness and your brand uh, relatively early in the course of rocket and rolling on your practice. That's really cool. Yeah, no, I, I studied marketing for a minute after I realized that that's an essential part of the process. And that really helped me kind of figure out how to actually reach the people that I thought would be a good fit for me and that I would be a good fit for. So yeah, that's really helped get that, that branding, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to dig into some of the insights that you've shared in your book, The Psychology of Procrastination. But maybe before we do that, could you share, is there anything particularly striking, surprising, fascinating, counterintuitive you've discovered about us high-achieving folk having gotten a unique vantage point of, of looking at the personal deep stuff that yeah. we're all dealing with. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about especially high-functioning people is obviously procrastination hasn't been so problematic that it's kept them from being able to achieve great things. Like these people that I work with are highly successful. And so procrastination hasn't kept them from being successful like it can for, for some people. And so I, I see this brand of procrastination in this population that's really closely aligned with perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And so they want to do things perfectly and that can kind of contribute to procrastination and then the procrastination influences how well they can do something. And there's this, this relationship between procrastination and perfectionism that I think is particularly unique to this high-functioning population. Yeah, that's that's really resonating in, in terms of uh, one thing I've really procrastinated on is just processing my mail, <laughs> yeah. and like, like paper mail. Because <laughs> uh-huh. if it's really good, I usually grab it already. Like, oh, this is a check. Oh, this is a card. Uh-huh. And then what's left is a big pile of, I don't know what's in that envelope. Probably yeah. not anything interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's really common to struggle with like those basic activities of daily living, but then to not struggle so much with some of the bigger things yeah. in life that would seem more intimidating. Absolutely. And then with that perfectionism, it's funny, I ended up buying a bunch of stuff in terms of I've got <laughs> I've got three different kinds of letter openers now yeah, and a nice uh-huh. little six stack tray mm-hmm. and some re- special redaction markers. Yeah. etc. And I guess there's some perfectionism in there. It's like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it so freaking uh-huh. excellently. Yeah. But I found that for my own motivational triggers, at least, it's it's really helping. It's like, I am well equipped to tackle this thing now. So let's so let's get after it. Whereas before, it's like, oh, it's going to be so hard and boring. Right. And I'm scared that I might realize I've neglected something important <laughs> about insurance or about taxes or, 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 or something yeah. and, and then feel bad about myself. So anyways, I got... Yeah, it's a lot of stuff gets wrapped up in this procrastination. Yeah, and sometimes you're right that like setting ourselves up with the best materials can really then motivate behavior. And sometimes people observe the opposite, that they get Mm. all the stuff and they have all these great intentions and still they can't go through their mail, that there's there's something missing that actually helps them overcome that barrier to really doing the behavior. So it it can kind of go either direction. Yeah. Well, boy, it sounds like there's a lot of nuance to mm-hmm. be untangled here. So let's let's do that. Maybe let's zoom out a smidge. If you had a big idea, core message, or thesis behind the psychology of procrastination, how would you articulate that? My main thesis is that procrastination is not as much about time management as we would expect. That's what you hear a lot when you're talking about procrastination is you you need a schedule, you need a planner, you need to manage your time better. To me, poor time management can certainly affect procrastination and improving that those skills can be helpful. But ultimately, overcoming procrastination requires addressing the deeper emotional causes. Overcoming procrastination is about emotion management as much as time management. Mm Mm-hmm. Tweet that, Hayden. That's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, th- I think that distinction does a lot right there. Cool. Well, so then I- I'm curious. Okay, well, we'll get into the how in just a moment. Then is there any distinguishing or defining we should do about procrastination itself? Like in, in some ways, I think we know it when we see it. It's like, well, yeah, that's procrastination. But how, how do we distinguish between procrastination versus, oh, I'm taking a break, or this is actually another important thing that's popped up and needs my attention? Yeah, there are different forms of procrastination. And so there's actively procrastinating versus passively procrastinating. So active procrastination means, oh, I'm going to work on that later. I'm making this active decision to do it later 
so that I can do this other thing instead. And that other thing may be something that is also important, uh, maybe more important, or maybe also important but less important, or something that's not important at all, but just something that you want to do. So I'm actively making the decision to put something off until later. And there's also the passive procrastination, which is just like, just not getting around to the stuff, just not getting around to making a doctor's appointment or to calling your grandma or something like that. Just it just doesn't come around. You're passively procrastinating on those things, but not really intending to. So that's one important distinction is, am I doing this on purpose? Am I purposely putting this off? Or am I just like not getting around to doing these things that I, I need to be doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood. And so then either way, there's there's something that ought to be done that you're not doing. Right. Yeah. That's essentially the definition of procrastination, right? And you bring up a good point, which is like, there are lots of things that need to be done in life. So how do you distinguish, like if I'm working on something that's important, how do I know if the stuff that is waiting in line is being procrastinated or I'm just not getting to it yet? And that's a matter of priority, right? By definition, there can only be one most important thing and that's your Mm -hmm. priority. And our job in overcoming procrastination is to get really serious about what is the most important or most urgent thing to be done right now and what are the other things that need to wait. And you'll see your mind getting really creative with excuses to kind of trick you into changing the priority order and and Mm -hmm. making something seem like a greater priority than something else. And so you have to be really savvy in calling yourself out when you're lying to yourself or when you're making excuses that aren't helpful in, in really prioritizing your list. Boy, that's so powerful. And uh, a couple of things you say reminded me of the conversation we had with Perry Marshall, who talked about the 80-20 rule in, mm-hmm. in marketing and other domains. And it's intriguing. And for me, that's been so huge with priority is if I can quantify, like, what is the expected profit created per hour invested? And as I think about different business initiatives, like if that's what I'm trying to achieve, then if I lay it out there, I can be dazzled by, sure enough, that one is 10 times as much as that other one. So even though it's unpleasant, I should probably really do that one. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's powerful and beautiful to be able to see it in black and white in such stark, dramatically differing terms. Although often it is not that clear. (laughs) It is not that quantified and and it's much fuzzier So how do you think about determining priority? Well, there are a lot of different ways that you can do that. There's the Eisenhower matrix, right? Which if you can imagine is this sort of like two by two matrix of urgent, not urgent, important, not important. And so you've got a box that's both urgent and important and a box that's neither urgent nor important. And then the other two as well. And you can kind of categorize your tasks into that matrix, right? And so the things that are most important and most urgent are probably going to be your highest priority things. These are kind of emergencies in your life or rapidly approaching deadlines, things like that. Things that are urgent but not important might be interruptions. So someone asking you, like a coworker asking you um, your opinion on something or for feedback on something, that may be kind of urgent, especially to your coworker, but not especially important to you. So that might be a little bit you know, lower priority for you. Or things that are important to you but not necessarily urgent. These are projects that you want to work on that have no deadline. So organizing your closets or making a doctor's appointment, these things are important but not necessarily urgent. So they're also going to kind of be in the middle of your list. And then things at the bottom of your list are going to be things that are neither urgent nor important. So these are distractions in life. This is social media. This is just hanging out. This is kind of like our time wasters are definitely in that category. And they're just going to be at the bottom of our list. And hopefully we'll get there. 
But in terms of prioritizing our time, we want to start with those things that are most urgent and most important. And again, like I haven't said this, but you want to overcome the urge to like just use urgency to measure your priorities, like, and really looking at the importance of it too. Absolutely. And I think that it's, you're right in terms of that the priority can slide or sort of like we rationalize or deceive ourselves. So you could say, you could say anything is important. Like it's important that I play this video game because Uh self-care is essential. I've been working so hard and I need, I need a break. But the flip side, it could be, well, yeah, self-care is important. You have been working hard. You should have a rest. And this isn't going to fill you up (laughs) as as much as any number of other activities, which might require a little bit more effort and might not be as immediately accessible, do. And that's where the emotional stuff comes in. When you are really in tune with your emotions, you can see that your emotions are making the decision to procrastinate more so than you actually making that decision to put something off strategically. So the emotion is something like, I just don't want to work on that project, right? Or I just don't want to open the mail Mm -hmm. right now. And so like whatever emotion word we would put on that experience, that is what's making the decision to put it off versus you sitting down and saying, well, like mail is kind of like, it's like important, but it's not especially urgent. So therefore I'm going to kind of put it in the middle of my list. Like that's a very rational process, but that's very rarely what happens because instead our emotions are making those decisions for us. Hayden, I, I don't know how many times I've dreamt about this ultimate holy grail. And maybe it's not achievable for us mortals, but that exactly that notion. I just don't want to, mm-hmm. I think I've even written this on a goal sheet somewhere. Like, <laughs> I would like to make, I just don't want to, or I just don't feel like it almost irrelevant as, as in terms of the power it holds over me. It's like, yeah, duly noted emotion, mm-hmm. but we're going to do it anyway. So too bad. Yeah, and so tell me, Hayden, is that an achievable goal or is this the state of humanity incapable of that ideal? Well, we certainly can't eradicate that as an experience, right? I think that's, that's what most of us sort of envision is just like, I have this, this emotion. Mm-hmm. I don't want it. So I'm just going to get rid of it. I'm just going to yeah, amputate that nice. from my experience. <laughs> that's probably not an achievable goal. So it's, it's more helpful to figure out how do I have that feeling that I don't want a feeling And like, put that in my pocket, carry it with me, but continue to choose my behavior in the direction that I want it to be. So it's it's making this distinction where I can have that feeling, Mm -hmm. but choose a behavior that's incompatible with it. So I can exercise or do this documentation or go through the mail, even though I have this feeling that I don't want to, I'm just gonna put that in my pocket, carry it with me because I can't get rid of it and then do the behavior anyways. Okay. Certainly understood. Yeah. The feelings there, it doesn't just disappear at will. And, but what is possible sounds like you're saying, tell me if I'm accurate, is that with a high percentage, you tell me, Hayden, is it 100? Is it 90? With a high percentage, with practice and, and mastery, one can, with a high percentage, say, duly noted, I just don't feel like it emotion. I'm going to put this aside and proceed regardless. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I love the way you just did that. You talked to the feeling and that's helpful, right? You're, what, what that's doing is it's taking the feeling from like being like enveloping you and you're putting it out in front of you and you're speaking to it as if it's something separate because in effect it is. And you're saying, Hey, feeling, I hear you. I see you. I'm going to validate you, but I'm not going to let you make the decisions for me because you are separate from me. So yes, I'm going to acknowledge you say duly noted 
and then continue in the direction that you want to go. This, of course, yes, is more difficult in real life than I'm making it sound. And it requires a lot of like emotional skill, but like, you can learn that. They're skills. So you can, you can learn that and you can improve those skills over time. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really nicely said in terms of, of talking to the emotion. And I hear you validating. I think I've wrestled with this in my own journey with regard to emotions is if folks say, oh yeah, be emotions have information, be curious about them. And I think that's probably generally good advice for most people. But you know, as a podcast host, I am pathologically curious, I'd say, or a good distinction I've gathered is that emotions cannot be solved, but rather felt and that they have information, but sometimes that information isn't really relevant or novel or actionable, like, oh, I'm angry about this thing, which is a lot like this thing that's happened before and is likely to continue. It's like, yeah, that's true. Yep, that much to be done. So duly noted, thank you, thank you, Anger. We're going to go ahead and do this other thing now. Or that's sort of how I've come to terms with things. What is your professional opinion, doctor? Yeah, for sure, emotions exist for a reason. Like humans have evolved with emotions inside of us for a reason, right? Like evolution tends to get rid of things that aren't particularly helpful. And so humans and lots of other animals have emotions. So we have to believe that that that's there for a reason because like emotions are somewhat metabolically expensive in your brain. So again, like they must be serving (laughs) a purpose. And so, yes, we do want to pay attention to our emotions and try to figure out what they're telling us. And at the same time, what they're telling us does not need to necessarily dictate our behavior. In a perfect world, that's why we have emotions. Because for example, if I see a snake, that's going to automatically, without me even thinking about it, motivate my behavior to get away from that snake. And it happens so quickly that it's life-sustaining, right? That I'm moving away from that snake before I can think about, should I? Is that snake dangerous? Is that one that's poisonous? Is that one going to bite me? We don't have to do all of that. We're just like already moving. And that's really helpful. And those are the reasons that we have emotions in the first place. But in our human lives, where it's not all like emotions aren't always triggered by things that are life threatening, we have to be a little bit more thoughtful about the behaviors that are following our emotions. There's a natural behavior attached to every emotion. So if I'm sad, I naturally kind of want to hide and just be slowed down. Or if I'm anxious, I kind of naturally want to plan and worry. And that can be helpful in certain contexts. But we just have to ask ourselves, we have to pause on that emotion and say, what is this emotion trying to tell me? And is this one of those contexts where I need to do exactly what it's telling me to do? Or is this one of those tricky contexts that I actually need to go in the total opposite direction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Natural behavior. And then we assess that. Like, hmm, mm-hmm. an interesting suggestion you have proposed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's consider. Is yeah. that the, the optimal move? Okay. Well, so Hayden, just kind of rounding out the why before we dig into the nitty gritty hows, you mentioned it can be possible with practice to have a very high percentage of duly noted, I don't feel like it, and we're going to proceed regardless. Could you also share with us a particularly inspiring story of someone you've seen really turn it around in terms of they had some procrastination that was causing some challenges, and then they just really came out the other side and were, were taking care of business? Yeah. You know, I have a woman I I used to work with that, again, very high functioning. She's an attorney. 
in a pretty prestigious position and had obviously been very successful her whole life, right? She was very successful academically and, and honestly in everything she ever did. Like she's just super bright and, and driven. But but part of her success was because she would pull all-nighters to mm-hmm. get her briefs written or her motions written or, or whatever. And she was kind of constantly asking the court for extensions because she just didn't have the time to finish some of the the things that she needed to write for the court. And that became problematic, as you can imagine. Like the judges- The judge is tired of that. Oh yeah, All right. they, they mm-hmm. kind of catch on to, to this and, and they'll put some limits on it. And so overcoming procrastination became important for her because like she's not 20 anymore. Like pulling all-nighters is not necessarily a great way of, of living your life as an attorney. And- asking the judges for extensions is, is not super helpful either. And so we we worked for a long time on setting up some systems in her life that are going to support her moving up deadlines and being able to work on things earlier. But mostly we were looking at what are the emotions that drive the procrastination. And for her, it was a lot of distraction. It was a lot of distraction by other things that were also interesting or overdoing it on one brief that then made it so that she couldn't work on another one. So kind of like you, she's just super curious and would do too much on one project and then procrastinate another project because of that. And so we worked a lot on kind of figuring out emotionally what's going on here. Like, so curiosity here is is driving some of the procrastination and being able to work with that so that she could set that curiosity aside, say, yes, duly noted, I'm very curious about this project and I actually need to shift my focus to this like other project that I'm a little bit less curious about. So doing that kind of emotional work in addition to really setting her herself up with some good systems for prioritizing tasks and subtasks and you know knowing really what the priorities are and how to manage her time so that she can get everything done on time. And, and now she pulls very few all-nighters, right? Or like less uh, less of an all-nighter, right? Like I'm just going to I'm going to be able to sleep for 2 or 3 hours tonight instead of 0 hours, which is significant progress. Okay, cool. All right. So I'm I'm inspired, I'm motivated. Let's let's dig into some of the the means by which we win uh, against procrastination. So we talked about it's really much about emotional management and as opposed to just time management. So you've got a procrastination cycle. How does this work? All right. So this, this cycle starts with the idea that I'm going to have a thought about working on something, right? So, oh, I should open the mail. And then some things are going to happen after that thought, right? And those thoughts that come up after you have that initial thought, that's what ultimately is going to determine whether you are successful at following through with opening the mail or you divert to a different task. Okay. And so that that interim space is really super duper important. So I think about working on a, on a project. So I think about opening the mail and then I have this feeling, this like, ugh, I really don't want to, that's kind of boring or there's a lot stocked up or I don't know what some of it is or it could be bad news. Like I could have some bills in there. I can't pay. There's some feeling that comes up and then I want to get that feeling out of my body as quickly as possible because yeah. we don't we don't like feelings. So I'm going to try to get rid of that feeling. And the quickest and most effective way to do that is to just say, you know what? I'll do that later. I'm going to go over here and uh, I'm going to get a snack or I'm going to work play the video game or I'm going to work on a work project that's, that's also really important. I'm going to go do something else. And as soon as I make that decision to go do something else, that feeling goes away. Mm-hmm. And that is really reinforcing or in other words, like kind of addictive to our brains, that relief from that anxiety that we felt or whatever that kind of feeling was, that relief from that feeling is kind of what, what makes us do that. And because our brain figured that out, that that felt good to get that feeling out of our body, 
it's going to do that the next time too. So, oh, I should, oh, I gotta, I gotta get around to that opening that mail. Oh, oh yeah. I really don't want to like, oh, there's could be bills in there that I can't pay. Uh, you know, I'm going to work on this other thing. Oh, right. And that relief again, like it, your brain learns that relief feels good and mm-hmm. it's going to encourage you to do that every time. That's good. That's good. It's not so much that doing the other thing is just orgasmically pleasurable in terms of like, I'm being deluged with dopamine because this snack is so amazing or this video game is so good. I love that distinction you brought there in terms of we're addicted to the relief. Like Mm -hmm. I was feeling yucky and then I felt unyucky Mm -hmm. and oh, that's real nice. Even if the alternative isn't all that amazing. Right. Yeah. Even just less yucky right? Mm -hmm. If I feel 2% less yucky doing this other project, then that's a 2% gain for my brain and that's better. So we're going to move in that direction. So yeah, our our procrastination doesn't have to be to something that we actually enjoy or want to do. It just has to be like incrementally better than what we otherwise would do. Mm -hmm. I really like that a lot. So then, okay. So that's sort of the cycle. And you say it's the thoughts we have that determine which pathway we're going to end up going down. So can you give us an demonstration. We heard some of the the thoughts that don't take us <laughs> where we want to go. What's the flip side of that? Right. So that would be a lot like what you demonstrated. So here I am. I had this thought like, oh yeah, I really need to get to that mail. Like, oh, oh gosh, like oh, there could be some bills in there that like I can't pay. And I don't know. It's just so much stacked up. I feel so guilty about like just not being good at this and just the, the mass of mail. Okay. Yep. Yep. There's that, that guilty feeling. There's that anxiety. Yep. There it is. Duly noted that this feels bad. I can actually feel bad and do this at the same time. I can feel guilty about this and open the mail at the same time. Those are not mutually exclusive. So here I am. I'm going to put that guilt in my pocket and I'm just going to carry that with me. And I'm going to feel guilty while I open the mail. And maybe I I don't commit to opening all of it. I'm just going to open a couple of pieces of mail. That's what I feel like I can commit to today. And so I open a couple of pieces of mail and then I move on. Right. And so then I'm going to feel some relief after that. Right. That's true. And that that feels good to our brains too. So now I've actually done some work and then I feel I feel relieved. And that's kind of the process that we want is that relief to come after engaging with the task rather than before. Oh, that's really nice. It's really nice. I think I heard an interview with Dr. Andrew Huberman mm-hmm. in which he suggested that if we, whenever there's a means by which we can very easily uh, acquire feeling good, whether that's alcohol or nicotine mm-hmm. or porn or whatever. Right. There's a risk that uh, that addiction and not a great cycle can can begin there. As opposed to what you've laid out is that sounds like what I'm picking up is is like here we've got a we got a choice mm-hmm. in terms of of which pathway are we going to go down and in so doing which behaviors are going to get reinforced. Is that accurate Hayden that if we do choose to procrastinate this one time we'll be more likely to procrastinate next time and vice versa. If we do choose to do the unpleasant thing, we'll be better able to do the unpleasant thing next time. Is that accurate or am I reading too much into it? Yeah, right. So your brain is paying attention to these reinforcement schedules and it is noticing that I avoided the task. I decided not to open the mail and I felt better. So in Mm. this case, avoidance is being reinforced. And in general, that's kind of not what we want to happen in our lives. But if instead I actually engage with the task, maybe not completely, but in a way that feels manageable for me today, then my relief comes from engaging with the task rather than avoiding the task. And that is what we want to see more of. And the more you do that, yes, you're right. The more you do that, the more resilient you become 
And so then what feels manageable today, which is opening two pieces of mail, like down the road somewhere, I might be able to open 10 pieces of mail or maybe even feel capable of approaching the entire task. So we want to start where we're at. And then as we kind of build some resilience to that, where that starts to feel easy, then open that up a little bit so that we actually can can do more and more and tolerate more distress. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Okay. So we talked about the the cycle and we talked about prioritizing. Any other just absolutely core themes, principles, practices that make a world of difference in terms of getting better at not procrastinating? One thing that comes to mind is this idea of motivation. And I hear that come up a lot in my clinic about, I'm just not motivated to exercise or I'm not motivated to write my notes, do my documentation. I'm just not motivated to work on this project. That comes up a lot as a factor that perpetuates procrastination. And so we really have to rethink motivation in this context. And there's a lot floating around the internet. So your, your listeners have probably encountered this, that motivation is, is fleeting. It's unreliable. It's definitely not something that we want to rely on to, to motivate behavior. Like we don't, we want to choose our behavior, whether we have motivation or not, um, because there's this misconception that if I'm motivated, then I can take action, but it's actually the reverse. If I take action and then I start to see results from that, then I may feel motivated down the road, but that's neither here nor there. In overcoming procrastination, motivation doesn't even really need to be part of the equation. We just need to focus on tolerating the distress, the emotional piece, and then choosing our behavior in a line that's aligned with our goals rather than what we feel like doing or not doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then motivation, fickle, fleeting. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not essential to have, but It'd be nice to have. (laughs) Are there any things that we can do to, over the long term, build up more? I guess, is it just doing that path that brings about more resilience will also yields more motivation? Or is it just like, can't count on it, it'll come and go and just move on? We certainly don't want to count on it, but definitely there are things that we can do to enhance motivation. So these are things like reminding ourselves, why? Why is it important to go through the mail? Why don't I want to just let this accumulate? And if I have a good, compelling reason that this is an important task to do, and I remind myself why it's important, then I'm probably going to feel more motivated to engage in it. Or in other words, I'm going to feel more motivated to push through that I don't want to feeling. So importantly, that I don't want to feeling is probably still going to be there, but it's a little bit easier to like put that in your pocket and carry on when you have a compelling reason to do that. So reminding yourself, like, what are my values? What's important to me? Why am I trying to do this? That can be really helpful for being able to push through that discomfort. And hey, did you have any thoughts when we talk about the why? I think I've historically viewed the why as some grand, ennobling purpose that just inspires and is maybe even extra fun to to say and articulate versus the why could in fact be pretty mundane. Like, well, if you don't open your mail, there could be some nasty bills that you haven't paid and your credit score will go down and you're going to have to pay more for your next car payment or, or, or mortgage or something. And so I think I've gathered that that's a perfectly valid why that can nudge you and get the results, even if it's not all that inspiring and pretty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be anything that you're going to, that's going to be tweetable, right? Like it it doesn't have to be right. Like it can just be like, I need to like, just get this stuff off the counter. Like that's just an important thing to do is just clear this up so that it's just not taking up space 
Or also, so it's not taking up brain space, right? Like I keep having to think about the freaking mail and that's that's a silly waste of brain space. And so I'm just going to go ahead and do this so I can clear that up to think about things that I'm actually like more interested in. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And so then the why can be either carrot or stick. It could be pain or pleasure. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. And then I'm thinking once we're actually, we've started, which, well, maybe let's talk about that. So I'm thinking about uh, Dr. Timothy Peachel. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but uh, he wrote another book about procrastination, which I thought was was pretty good. But that was one of the themes <laughs> over and over again. It was like, just get started, which in some ways is, I don't know, felt like an oversimplification. Like, oh, you're procrastinating? Well, just get started. Yeah. But on the flip side is like, but no, it's true. If you could just right. get like a minute or two into it, magic happens. Can you comment on the just get started concept? Super important because that's your choice point, right? Like I have this emotion and I have a choice to either avoid it or to tolerate it. And if I can just get started every time I just get started, that is me tolerating that emotion. Even if I only get started for two pieces of mail, I've tolerated that emotion for longer than I otherwise would have. And that is a step in the right direction. And typically once we can overcome that first hump of the emotion, it's kind of downhill from there. It's, it's a whole lot easier. It's that first step that is the most difficult. And so, yeah, that there's some truth to that, that if we can just get started, and there are lots of ways that people have come up with to kind of mm, do that. Do tell. But if we can just do that, that tends to help us down the road. It tends to help us continue the task longer. Hayden, you said lots of ways, and I can't let that go. What are some <laughs> of these ways? Well, like with the mail example, right? I'm, I'm just going to commit to doing a little bit of the task. So if I can break this big task into something smaller, I'm going to unload the dishwasher. I'm gonna, just going to put away the forks or I'm going to do the laundry. I'm just going to fold the towels today. If we can break it down to just one thing, that's one way to get started. So we're not committing to doing the entire thing or commit to a certain amount of time. I'm just going to do this for five minutes and then I'm done after that. I'm only committing to five minutes of this hard thing, then I'm done. Or a renewable strategy. So I'm, I'm going to do this for five minutes and then after five minutes, I'm going to ask myself whether I want to continue for another five minutes and then kind of having that renewable engagement with the task. And so there are lots of ways like that, that essentially come down to breaking that task down into a small enough component that it feels manageable. And that may be like what's manageable for you at the moment. If it's something you've been putting off for a long, long time, that may be, I'm just going to put one fork away and that's all I feel like yeah. I can manage today. And like, that's just where I'm at. And that's totally fine. Yeah. It's so good. And it's so funny that state of mind I'm thinking I've had times where I'm looking at a kitchen Island, just full of junk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got mail, we got trash, we got recycling, we got laundry, we got a car seat because <laughs> it's, it's big and convenient. It's right there. So just we stick things there. And so then it's overwhelming. It's like, oh, there's so many things. And it's funny is sometimes I will do a little bit and I'll, and I'll feel exhausted. Like, oh, that's all I can muster. Mm-hmm. I put the car seat on the stroller, which makes a lot more sense for it to be. And that's good. And other times I do that. And then I, I behold the, the wake, the space that has been cleared, beautified, liberated, from that action. And I find it to be beautiful and inspiring such that I, I keep going. And maybe this is just a fancy way of describing what motivation feels like in practice, but Hayden, it's just a mystery to me is why is it sometimes I take the path where it's like, Ooh, that was great. Let's keep going. And other times I go, Ugh, 
that was exhausting. Let's stop. What's behind that? Right. Well, I, you know, it's a lot of things, right? Like sometimes it comes down to emotional energy, right? Like we have a certain amount of emotional energy and some days you've probably already spent a lot of your emotional energy on, I didn't sleep all that well. And, you know, my boss was mad at me and I got in trouble for this thing. And this project isn't working out the way I want it to. And there was no toilet paper in the bathroom. And so by the time you get around to just cleaning off your island, like just putting the car seat away is like all you can, can muster. And other days like that are going pretty well, you might have enough emotional energy to actually do the entire project. So it just kind of depends, I I think, a lot on kind of what's already been stacking up for you in in the day or the week or whatever time is leading up to to that task. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's say we did get started. Mission accomplished. And then distraction appears. Whether it's from the phone, maybe it's from a knock on the door, you got a minute or any numbers or just our own internal thoughts. Like, ooh, it'd be fun to go on Facebook right now. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend for sticking with it once we've started? Well, obviously, if you're a person who's prone to distraction, then you want to do the normal things to limit distractions, right? You want to leave your phone somewhere else or turn it off. You want to shut your office door. You want to take all of those steps that we all know we ought to do. I have nothing revolutionary to add there about limiting distractions. So so if you're prone to distraction, you certainly want to do that. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves about what we're distracted by. So if you're distracted by your phone, you're getting on social media, you're checking text messages or whatever, then your phone needs to, to go. And also, I think we, we just kind of need to be honest with ourselves about how long we're able to work before we take a break. And we need to kind of schedule in some breaks. And that can get tricky for people, too, um, in terms of coming back from mm-hmm. a break. But our brain needs breaks to just kind of refresh our, our energy and our focus. So we have to be thoughtful about that. But certainly limiting distractions is important and setting ourselves up with systems that are going to help us with the distractions that you don't normally think about. So you were mentioning getting distracted by your own thoughts, right? Or ideas. And so one idea there is to keep a list where you can follow up with those ideas. So right now I am working on this memo and I do like, I should not be getting on Facebook to like, you know, look at the events that are going on this weekend. That That's a distraction. So I'm going to write that down so that once I'm done with my time commitment to this memo, I'm going to follow up with the Facebook idea or I'm going to follow up with, oh yeah, I wanted to Wikipedia that thing. Like I'm going to follow up with that later because I've got a list of them. I don't want to forget them. So I'm going to make a list of them, but kind of having the discipline to not right now and just put that away, which again is going to bring up some emotions. But like, I really want to, I really want to get on Facebook or like, oh, I really want to like, I'm really curious about that thing. We have to tolerate that distress of postponing that experience until later. Mm-hmm. All right. Beautiful. Thank you. Hayden, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I mean, I don't know if I've said it, but like the emotional piece is like super duper important. But yeah, I think it's like, I, I know I've sort of beaten that dead horse, which which has been my intention because I, I think that people continue to try to overcome procrastination again and again and again, and they're trying similar strategies and not finding progress. And I think it is because a lot of people are neglecting the emotional piece. So that really has to be your focus is, you know, trying to figure out that arc of your emotional experience. So I think about doing something, I have this emotional experience in response to it, and then I choose my behavior accordingly. When you can master that emotional arc, you are going to make so much more progress in overcoming procrastination. All right. Now, could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? There's this author and finance expert named Nathan Morris, and he has this quote, like, it's not always that we need to do more, but rather that we need to focus on less. And I 
find that pretty inspiring. He, he talks about editing your life frequently and ruthlessly. And for me, being the person that I am, who's like prone to anxiety and perfectionism and doing more, 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 it always feels like if I just do more or work harder, then I will get to my destination. But I think there's a lot of truth in what he's saying, which is like, we just need to f- like focus on less, like choose the priority, right? And focus on that. And then that's where success will come in. All right. And you have a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? There's this study that human subjects start at a starting line and they had to walk to a finish line. And along the way, they had to pick up a bucket and they're going to encounter one bucket sooner. And then there's another bucket kind of closer to the finish line. And they can choose either one. They just have to walk with a bucket from the start line to the finish line. And so rationally, what we should do is like pick up that second bucket that's like closer to the finish line and like just walk from there to the finish line. Mm -hmm. But actually people tended to pick up that first bucket and then like walk farther with this heavy bucket to the finish line. And what I love about that study is that it sort of highlights how irrational human behavior is, that we will like in some cases like do more work for no good reason, even when like obviously in that case, like just pick up the second bucket and you won't have to carry it as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, we are predictably irrational, and that's why psychology is so interesting. Well, and it's so funny. It's like, and I guess we have all of our own little reasons for that. It's like, I'm going to show this bucket who's boss. It's like, I got, <laughs> I'm a tough guy. I can handle carrying a bucket the whole way. So I'm going to do it. Like, this is boring. So uh-huh. carrying a bucket makes it a little more interesting. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And a favorite book? Sophie Mort, who happens to be a friend of mine, wrote A Manual for Being Human, which I think is revolutionary because you know how people say, oh, there's no manual for like, you know, being human, there's no manual for figuring this out. Well, she like literally wrote the manual for Uh being human and it's based in psychology and mental health. And it's a great read for people trying to figure out how to like manage mental health and like really thrive in, in life. Mm -hmm. And a favorite tool. I love Google reminders. I think that is like such a big help in my life for trying to keep me on tracks that I don't have to keep it all in my head, but I can just set up reminders to remind me to do stuff every four days or every six weeks or whatever it is. Love that tool. Mm Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit, something that helps you be awesome at your job? Oh, my sleep schedule is is definitely number one. I am very rigid about my sleep schedule. I protect sleep at all costs. I am headed to bed at 8.20 every night, asleep by 8.30, so that when my alarm goes off at quarter to five, I am well rested and, and ready to go. I, I think that is the secret to just about everybody's success is making sure you protect your sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. And is there a key nugget you share that really connects with folks, resonates? they tweet to you? Yeah, it's got to be that like, it's not time management, it's emotion management. And once people get that, which it it makes sense, right? But like, once you get that in real life, once you experience that, like that unlocks everything. And and really, honestly, like when it comes to mental health, that's kind of the bottom line with everything. It is emotion management more than what you would typically think of. How do I overcome depression? Well, you you manage the emotions and separate your behavior from that. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where'd you point them? My website is haydenfinch.com. There you can learn more about the Finch Center for High Functioning Anxiety. You can contact me and work with me directly or find links to the books I've written on the psychology of procrastination or habits. It's all there at haydenfinch.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would say based on that quote that I just made, like it's not about doing more in life. That's not it. It's about editing your life. So find something to edit to create more space because more space in your life is going to be a greater ability to stay in the driver's seat and manage those emotions that are going to come up. You need space to be able to do the emotion management piece. All right. Hey, this has been a treat. I wish you much luck and very little procrastination. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. I've enjoyed this and hopefully that will help your your listeners be awesome at their jobs. I really love Hayden's perspective. It's, it's so simple that, yeah, you can feel a thing and do it anyway. And it sounds so obvious it's almost juvenile and maybe patronizing like no duh. And yet I find that's the exact kind of simplicity I need to deliver to my little emotional side of the brain, the inner toddler, I've heard it called, in order to really have it receive that message to communicate effectively. It's like, I don't want to. Well, it's possible to do something even though you don't want to. So how about we just try it for three minutes? Mm, okay. <laughs> That's the internal Pete dialogue. And it really works. Great stuff from Dr. Hayden Finch. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP843. Hope to catch you next time. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.